All right, we're back. We're back. We're back. We've uh, been being pretty consistent-ish for us. I think so. I think so. I'm I'm probably pretty good for next week too. So I think I'm. Me too. Like, I think I'm home I, now. I'm, I'm like I'm okay. Finished with the road. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I just got to put this out there for everybody that um, my book has been published. Oh it's my god, shipping now. Yes. So I, I'm pretty sure like one of the next guests is going to be me, Tony. You know, you're gonna. Have to, I love that. You're gonna have to interview me about my book. That means I got to. Re- that means I have to read it. You have to read it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you doing? Or I'll just. Like, I'll just like feed you like really like you know, flattering questions to me. I've already ordered it, so okay. I will read it. Obviously, awesome. I'm awesome. excited to read it. I think yeah. it's it's going to be super insightful. It's the it history must... of the French police. That's right. Right. That's right. And their and their hangups about race, even though they say they're not racist. No, no, no. Cops aren't racist. No. Especially not French cops. Um, Anyway, so, okay, so we're going to be consistent. We have been consistent. And this week we're going to stick with that consistency because, unfortunately, this war in Ukraine is dragging on. um, Yes. And rightfully so drowns out every other story. So There's um, nothing to talk about right now. Yeah, yeah. Right now we have to talk about this. It's a sideshow. Because it could go in many, many directions. So let's, let's get into it. Yep. This is No Politics at the Dinner Table. I'm Tony Biancasino. And I'm Ahmed Prakash. This week, we're going to be talking about the war in Ukraine that is unfortunately dragging on to week three. But um, maybe there's an end in sight. Let's see. Let's go. All right. Yeah. So I'm sure you've been following this closely like everybody else. I have two screens in front of me as we're doing this, <laughs> waiting for Biden to come on and do his address. I'm watching over here in the corners on the live feeds to see what's going on. Yeah, this has consumed yeah. me. Yeah. You know, to the point where I needed to talk to, you know, like I'm I'm off of all social media. I'm, yeah, right. I'm not right. really this has kind of replaced that in a way, but it's a sick justification because yeah. I'm actually really concerned it's not like i'm scrolling right right stupid pictures of like you know people's kids and whatever they're what stupid vacations i'm actually really concerned and um my heart breaks and i like i feel like it's to not pay attention is to deny it and to be ignorant and i just like I need to know what's going on. I need to be mentally and emotionally ready for whatever's going to happen. I think that's a good way to put it. I don't think, I think you're totally justified. Um, This is not, as you said, just random. I need to pass out. I'm going to scroll or something. This is very purposeful. No, I wake up in the morning and I'm like, what are the Russians up to? Are the Ukrainians still fighting their asses off? Like, I need to know because it's like, it hits on every emotion. The most being like, I'm, I'm so pumped for the Ukrainians. Like, no matter the outcome of this, it's like you look at um, Zelensky, and I, I literally this morning was thinking, what politician can I name that if this was happening here would stay in Washington as it were being surrounded by an enemy mm-hmm. ready to fight? I don't think our former president or our current president would be there. I think they'd be hiding somewhere far away, giving addresses. And that is like, I have to think about that going forward with elections from now on. Yeah. Yeah. I know that sounds crazy and barbaric, but like, it's so inspiring. It's like, Oh my God, imagine that's your president. 
have millions of people are running out. This guy's like, I'm fighting. He, and he may very well go down because the Russians are killing everybody. And uh, it's just like, wow, I've never experienced a leader like that in my lifetime. Yeah. In and this it, country. And that's also, it's the fact that it's being broadcast. I mean, this guy, he's so good at this, you know, I mean, sure. he's so comfortable in front of the camera. He's so, you know, and he's very real, right? You know, yes. he's, he's speaking directly. He's speaking to the whole world, but he also feels like he's speaking to his people at the same yeah. time. And it's just like really well done. Yeah. Um, in terms of like what's going on, just just some few figures I wanted to get out there. The UN, and these, this is based on both UN figures and what the Pentagon is saying. And usually I don't, I always like look at what Pentagon figures have to say with a squint, you know, because, sure. you know, because of the past. Um, but uh, US and Western intelligence has been kind of on it yeah, yeah. for this, for this, uh, uh, conflict and they called it way be, way before um and they called the bluffs right so so i i am giving them a little more credence and also it's like a very hard thing right now we'll get i'm sure like 7 months from now we're going to get some hard numbers but right now it's very hard but to to, to really specify but of let's course. just go with what we have un says at least 636 ukrainian civilians have been killed that does not count the people who have been injured um, Ukraine itself says they've lost 1,300 soldiers. The Pentagon says it's probably more like 2,000 to 4,000. Mm -hmm. um, and the Pentagon and other international intelligence agencies are saying approximately um, 6,000 Russian soldiers killed. Um, so that's already, you know, let's call it maybe about 10,000 people killed in less than three weeks. Um, in addition to that, we've got uh, 3 million people now who have who have become refugees uh, in Eastern Europe. Um, for perspective, when, for instance, the Soviets uh, invaded Afghanistan in uh, 1980, between 1980 and 1981, full two years, there were about 2 million refugees in the surrounding countries of Afghanistan. This is 3 million people in less than three weeks, about a million a week, right? Um, now that has a lot to do with the fact that there's a whole rail system available sure. and cars and all that kind of stuff, but still it's, you know, it's, it's dramatic and catastrophic. Um, what are you worried about right now with this situation? Like what's your, what's your like chief worry? I don't have a chief worry. I mean, what am I not worried about? Okay. Okay. Like that, like that. All right. Now maybe that's, that's, maybe that's the question then. I'm not worried about Russia winning this war. I, I think they've lost mm -hmm. no, no matter if they're there for five years and just keep killing they're, 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 that it's over. Like what, what we're seeing is men and women dropping off their family that can not and shouldn't fight and getting back on trains to come back to fight. It's all inspiring. It's unbelievable. So you can't win that war without just demolishing the whole place. And then, then what's the point? I guess if I had to say what I'm worried about is I'm worried about the politicizing of this. This should not be politicized, just as the pandemic should, should not have been politicized. And you see what happened with that. So when, th when something gets super politicized for um, an individual's gain, people die. It could be a pandemic with a shot and a mask, or it can be a potential world war. So 
you see all the tough the tough guys and women out here politicians that want to take a hard line and want to do this and that and you know i think what we do a good job of on this podcast is like hard truths right we're unapologetically liberal people um i have some conservative views with specific things but one thing we do is we don't try to pretend that this issue starting with russia invading the Ukraine. There's a long history of um, warning signs. You know, I've I've been watching interviews with Putin from 2016 and 17, where he's literally saying NATO can never come here. To, to Why is this still here? Like the, the Soviet Union's done. We're not fighting. Why are you expanding? That's fair, right? And we've invaded, we invaded Iraq under literal fake um, pretense and it's, it's now outed. And I don't see anybody outraged about that. I still see Bush on late night television. So like it's this American exceptionalism and ignorance that that is what worries me is Hmm. I'm so terrified about. Okay. So like when I was 22 or whatever, when nine 11 happened, I literally was like, we need to bomb people. We need to fight. And they put they brainwashed me with that. I didn't have the history. I didn't have you know the 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 intellect to like actually investigate. Obviously, there was no internet like there is today. Um, that version of me is a lot of adults today, and that's fucking terrifying because I think it's most people. I think it's most people everywhere, yeah. um, and not through any fault of their own. Um, it's how they've been educated or not educated and, and indoctrinated. Yeah. And then also like, you're like really busy, (laughs) you know, like everybody's like living their lives really busy. And then what you see is, Oh, these two towers just went down. Yes. Hit back. Right. So I, I understand that reaction. Yeah. But I mean, like what's concerning to me is we didn't win in Afghanistan. That ain't a Russian military, dude. Vladimir Putin has nukes that can reach anywhere in the world. I know that people think, oh, you know, let's fight. You you, you escalate this to that degree where he feels really backed in the corner, like he might lose his life? You really want to mess with that? You think you think that's easy to recover from? Go, go, go talk to the Japanese about that. You think you just recover from that? You don't. So... I really am paying attention and and I don't think anybody that's super right listens to us, but if you have family members, I'll vote for people on the right that want to de-escalate this. I will literally pay more attention to people on both sides that their mission is let's give Putin an off-ramp. Let's figure this out. No NATO in Ukraine. I'm fine with that. If that literally pulls them out of there and the fighting stops and people stop dying, I think it's fair. So that I would say, if I had to answer, would be my biggest concern is the the war drum being beat, and that mm-hmm. is not one <laughs> you, yeah. you want to mess with. Yeah, no, no, I think that's that's important. I, back to something you just said about you know manufacturing consent about war, right? Yes. That that um, media does this, and you know the miseducation of the populace does this, you know, all all of those factors together, um, do this. Um, 
I think that's the, I, I give like all the outs in the world to like the general population, right? It's, it's like, it's not actually their fault if they want to, they start cheering for war because they have not been given, <laughs> I think in some ways purposely, you know, the, the full range of American foreign affairs, right? Yeah. That, that Amer how America has acted in the world for the past you know century and a half or so. Right. So they get a pass. Politicians do not. Right. So the, and, and this is the thing is that these are sort of professional politicians whose life is supposed to be about crafting and understanding policy and then looking at past policies and seeing how those policies ramify across time and space. Right. So that that is, you know, that's their profession. And these are the ones who, um, as you just said, often have never seen a war they didn't like. Mm. Right. So Afghanistan, you know, it seems like there's no lessons learned there. Um, and the lessons learned there were already learned in Vietnam. Um, you know, 3 million Vietnamese died in the Vietnam, Vietnam war. And these are people much like the Ukrainians who said, why are these guys in our country? Um, we're just going to fight them because they happen to be in my village. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and they kept coming and coming and coming. Um, so that sort of war party, um, you know, the blob, you know, in, in Washington and so on, um, is very powerful, um, and has a sort of thumb on the scale in terms of how foreign affairs gets interpreted, um, and then passed along to, to, to us really. Right. Um, I think like, I, like you, I'm so worried about escalations here. Um, and I'm just thinking about some historical parallels. I think you're exactly right that Putin in, in the long game has lost, right? So that he, he can't occupy Ukraine. He can never occupy Ukraine. Never going to happen. It's, it's far too big. Um, nobody else has been able to, the Nazis, right? Walked into Ukraine and they were greeted with flowers, by the way, when they, when they did, because of course, Stalin had starved them out just five years before. So it, it's understandable that they would saw at least some camps of Ukrainians would have seen, certainly not Ukrainian Jews. Um, but some camps of Ukrainians, uh, would have seen Nazis as a liberating force, right? But then the Nazis being Nazis lorded it over the population right away. Um, and you know, lost any uh, good feeling that they might have had within literally within days. And then, of course, you had Ukrainian nationalists who just said, well, these are Germans. They're not Ukrainians. You can't be in the country. So in the example of the Nazis, which is often like if you see in history books, just like, oh, you know, the, the spread of Nazi Europe. And then, you know, like it's going the swastika creeps across Europe and something this huge country, the Ukraine's taken over. Well, it's actually not really taken over because literally what the Nazis end up doing is that they go to Kiev, they take over all of the best hotels um, and the fanciest offices, and you know they start setting up their administration there, and they think it's great, right? Uh, and then within a week, bombs start going off, subway bombs, car bombs, assassinations, snipers on roofs, things like that. And lo and behold, there's an insurgency for the rest of the war. Yeah. Right. Um, that's what Vladimir Putin's going to face um, if he decides to quote unquote occupy Ukraine. Right. So that's that's a that's a loss already. But in terms of the escalations, what I'm so worried about is that 
I think, you know, some people give political leaders a little bit too much credit um, when they talk about them as sort of like these chess masters, right? That they, they're able to sort of see everything and anticipate moves and things like that. But um, this is more like gambling, not like chess, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. I think chess is actually a, a, a an inapt metaphor for what's going on with foreign affairs and military affairs. Uh, because in chess, you know, there's rules of the game. There's only a certain amount of things that you are allowed to do, right? Um, and the resources are all there in front of you, right? So one of the escalations that's been talked about and the Biden administration is really weighing this right now, which is which is what is troubling, um, is cutting off the Russian central bank from the SWIFT system, um, that that payment system, that payment notification system that basically helps notify and 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 really run the global financial system. Right now, that would be, if not a death blow, a really hard blow to um, Russian finance. Right. Like, and that, that would be really difficult. Vladimir Putin would most likely, um, it would be like the same thing as like shutting down the Fed here. Right. Um, Vladimir Putin would likely look at that as just, you know, economic warfare. It's an act of war. Sure. Um, and the response um, could easily be, and already three years ago, the Navy, um, the Irish Navy actually was worried about this, is that. Putin has a very large submarine fleet that can cut the undersea cables um, of which basically runs the entire internet and the global financial system. Forget about just the Russian one. So, you know, the response could easily, okay, you're going to shut down our banks. We're going to shut down your entire economy. Not going to happen. Uh, and, and it's, and it's just a sort of tit for tat there, right? There's, there's one up. But that would also affect China. It would it would affect a lot of people, but yeah. they can do it strategically, right? They can do it strategically, sure. right? Um, because there's Pacific cables and there's the transatlantic cables, right? So Got they it. Would focus on the West, um, and you know that's a that's a that would be in the arsenal, right? Sure. That would be something that they could do, and then suddenly that puts the Western nations economies in a tailspin which which are actually much more reliant on global finance to run than than Russia is and so it's even worse right so like the 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 squeeze that's possible for um the west to apply to Russia can be easily um uh responded to and in fact made worse right and then if that happened then there would be a massive demand by, you know, democratic publics just calling for war, right? Sure. That, you know, you're, you're ruined our economy. We can't eat, blah, blah, blah. Go to war with these guys. Right. Um, that's what I worry about. Right. So it's that, that it's what seems like, you know, pure financial instruments can easily turn into, um, a shooting war. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, cutting off the, Cutting the, 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 the off our system, though, directly affects China. And I think that I don't see them making that move. Then every then we're all fucked. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think if, if we're if we're watching closely China's reaction to the war in general, they're really trying to stay out of it as much as possible. I mean, they're calling for de-escalation. 
but they're not publicly um, criticizing Putin or the administration. They kind of are playing both sides. For them, it's all about the economy, right? And that's why whatever you think about the way they treat their people, the genocide going on, whatever, whatever the talking points are, not that I'm saying this exists or not, um, they're always about the economy first, right? They're not getting into wars with anybody. They're not even kind of on the brink of war with anybody. We we beat that drum a bit, but you don't really t- Taiwan a little bit. But I don't know. It's like, do you really think that would be Putin's quick move is to shut off our trade and finance capabilities, and then that affects literally the entire world? I, I don't think so. I mean, I think we're probably China's biggest trade partner. That would be a direct blow to them as well. Then you've really isolated yourself. So maybe. Uh, I don't think so. I th- I could see him striking, doing a lot of cyber warfare, maybe striking a NATO ally, um, which would lead to what you're saying, which is guns. Yeah, on the that ground. would be that would be like um, that would be bad. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's the other. I don't know. I've just been trying it, and historical analogies are like fun to think with, but they're always inexact. Um, it's a little so, more. You know, it's hard with this because. Because technology is just so f- has mm-hmm. gone so crazy since our last world war. I mean, right. you know, we weren't we didn't have drones back then. You know, this is this is that was really like a boots on the ground. Um, you know, in our twenty year war in Afghanistan, we lost just shy of five thousand people. Twenty years. I mean, we're not really fighting wars like that. So, yeah, it's interesting to think about the, the historical, um, you know comparisons but mm-hmm. yeah the internet is a really crazy weapon <laughs> yeah well i mean it's it's because like now you have to think about the information war right like that that's that's like a scary not not, not there not that there always wasn't you know um wars always had a pr campaign but sure. but but now it's just you know different level but if we think like i was thinking about the july crisis right the run-up to world war one um, Archduke Ferdinand gets killed on June 28th, 1914. Um, and then, you know, about a week later, Germany, you know, sends basically, um, an emissary to the empire of Austria, Hungary and says, you know, they just killed your heir. You're our, you're our ally. We'll back you doing whatever you want, right? You want to do nothing? Fine. You want to, you know, whip these guys, um, uh, with your military, fine. We're going to back you, right? Known as the blank check, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 basically, what this does, and there's there's all sorts of historical debate. And this is the, this is the thing about wars that people sort of still debate the origins of the First World War. Like it was like Russians, it was the Germans, it was this, it was that, it was outside factors, whatever. But but one of the things that um, is consistent, I think, um, is basically false assumptions. Right. So that that one of the false assumptions of Germany by saying, like, we're going to give you a blank check, Austria, Hungary um, and Austria, Hungary says, actually, we're going to go in there and kill the Serbs. Right? We're going to we're going to attack them. And that, you know, unleashes the war, really, um, is that thinking that, you know, people are not going to go to war over Serbia. Right. You know, like all the great powers are not going to, you know, get into coalition warfare and the whole world's going to be involved over what happened in Serbia. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's not that's not going to happen. Right. Of course, it did happen. Um, the same thing happened with the Korean War. Right. Like the North Koreans 
were asking the Russians, the Soviets at the time, for for the longest time, saying, "Hey, can we quote unquote unify the peninsula by you know attacking South Korea and just start taking it?" Um, and Stalin, for the longest time, said no, until 1949, 1950, and he said yes because he figured you know the Americans are not going to do anything, right? They you know they they're they're not going to fight, right? And and guess what? Um, American troops did end up going to Korea, right? Um, and but the difference there was the Soviets were able to like pawn off that war on the Chinese and say, "You take care of it now." Putin is in the situation where he's miscalculated a number of things, right? He's miscalculated and you know, had false assumptions about the Ukrainians, mm-hmm. right? First and foremost, that they're putting up this ferocious resistance, um, and they got this very you know um, brilliant leader right now. Um, and then also, in terms of like the assumptions he thought NATO and the West was like a dying, decadent West, right? That is falling apart. Um, his one, his recent ally, Donald Trump, was helping that along in many ways to sort of dismantle NATO and all that, right? So, so that was another false assumption. And the response has also been like equally ferocious and unified from NATO. So like in terms of, again, in terms of the long game, he really messed up. Yeah. Right. He messed up on such a big level that, you know, the circumstances are different, but like literally these are human beings who basically have too much power, Mm -hmm. concentrated power and a sense of like the ability to sort of make the future. Um, And it's all based on false assumptions. Yeah. Also, what we're seeing is, and I get no pleasure out of saying this, like their military is really rusty. Like, you know, we, for, unfortunately, we've not not been fighting wars, you know, they're not, you know, they're they're ill prepared. They didn't pack enough stuff. I mean, that's I've been re- watching a lot of like analysis of the military. And it's mm-hmm. like you saw that convoy. Anyone that's watching. Yeah. The 40 mile. Convoy, that's insanity. Ground to a halt. Yeah. If the Ukrainians had like just a couple of f- fighter jets, that would have been the biggest disaster in hundreds of years. I mean, it, it's it's really alarming that that's how much power this guy has, right? Some of his top military officials didn't even know they were going to war until like they got the command. And I'm watching a lot of stuff from uh, journalists on the ground in Ukraine. They're they're talking to Russian soldiers who were captured that were like, we don't know why we're here. Mm-hmm. We thought we were just coming in to fight Nazis. Like that's how effed up this is. And the Russian propaganda machine is that good. But um. You know, I that is what I think also scares me is that you get our team thinking, oh, we'll whoop their ass. They're not that tough. But it's like they still have nukes, guys. They still have submarines that might be right off of our coast. Like <laughs> it's not you gotta stop thinking of war as like guys in trenches with bayonets. We don't even fight wars like that anymore. This is a this is something where if we were fighting them and beating them badly, 
something disastrous could happen for the planet. And that is what everyone needs to realize. It's hard to watch pictures of little kids being blown up. It's hard to watch maternity uh, hospitals being blown up. It's really tough to watch people crying that are part of a free elected society that are literally being invaded. It's really hard. That doesn't mean the solution is let's blow more, let's kill more people. That's, that's, that's the last solution. That's the last, uh, not solution, the last option in my book. You have to try to figure out a way to uh, engage in diplomacy and to give him, you're dealing with a psycho. You got to get, we had one in office not that long ago. There's pride involved. They need, and I don't have the answers. You need to figure out a way to give him an off ramp where he can look like he accomplished something, but this shit stops. And I don't know what that is. That's for these idiot elected officials to figure the fuck out. Yeah. The, the other side of this, I think, um, and maybe we can sort of wrap up here on this is that, you know, given given i think we're both in agreement that he's lost the the sort of objectives of this war right like like he's not going to take the ukraine right even if he takes kiev even if he kills zelensky he's still not going to have ukraine it'll ignite like, their or, it'll yeah, ignite their, exactly. their pride more exactly. yeah it'll you know there's already he's he would he would have created a Assume, very but, big very big martyr um that, assuming that that, that was his goal people, yeah, is to yeah. take ukraine maybe his goal was I'm going to fuck them up and then we talk about NATO. We, we don't know. Like we're assuming that he thought he would come in and make it part of Russia. That doesn't look like the plan because they're not really plan. They're not really set up to do that. Maybe it was, let's go cause major destruction to show everybody how serious we are. I, I don't know, but the, this is who knows what his plan. I is. mean, this is one of the things that um, is very difficult about analyzing um, Russia right now, unlike say the Soviet Union, where the Soviet Union, at least the Communist Party, would just like publish like these are our objectives. Right. We want world revolution. Um, we want socialism, and we want to impose it by the bayonet, right? right. Um, and you know, like you know, that it was pretty clear. Um, whereas this guy is so cloistered, right? There's like inner chambers to the inner chambers to get to him, uh, and his crew of people who are around him are the only the most sort of cloying sycophants right the people who just are just complete yes men right just that that's all they do so in that situation the intelligence agencies are saying is that putin literally did think he knew kind of he be, he's at the point where he believes his own hype right you know that that he's you know he's a he's a legend his own his own mind and he believed that the russian army was just going to be welcomed Right. That yeah. he thought, you know, he believed he would be in Kiev in two days. Now it's three weeks. His army's ground to a halt. And his army's only ground to halt because there's a stalemate in the air. Once that once they figure that out, that might change. But do you think he thought they would welcome him or that his army was tough enough to just bulldoze through? I think it was no, I think there was there's a he's got this, you know, crazy belief that eastern Ukraine is very pro-Russian. You got a lot of Russian ethnic Russians there, Russian speakers. So, you know, they would certainly be welcomed there. Sure. Once that was seen in Western Ukraine, they would sort of 
take stock of what a resistance would mean and how destructive that would be. And they would change their minds and then they would understand the, the sort of the benevolence of Russian power, right? And that this is really just a, a fraternal union happening. And the only people who would be holdouts are the quote unquote neo-Nazis in the government that are, uh, that are you know, resistant to the Russian takeover. Um, that, I think that was his view, right? That, that was his view. Now, he's been sort of disabused of that view by the reality on the ground, that it's three weeks in, he's losing thousands of guys a week. Um, and um, really, there's no end in sight right now, right? Mm -hmm. And he also thought that NATO, the United States, the West, you know, broadly conceived, um, would just kind of roll over, right? And just sort of take it, right? Just, you know, just kind of what happened when he when he took Crimea, yeah, right? Yeah, Crimea. You know, just like, you know, that that's it. The terrifying thing, <laughs> and I hate to end on this, but I think we may, might, maybe can, um, is that he's going to be bitter about this and he's just going to sort of retreat. But in that retreat, it's going to be like a scorched earth re retreat, right? He's just going to destroy Ukraine and then occupy all of the Black Sea ports that he wants to, and then say, yeah, you keep the Ukraine now that it's a pile of ashes. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, that's that's a terrible end game. Um, it's good for no one. It's not even good for him, really. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, there's, you know, even the people who follow this the most closely, they literally say, we don't have an inside line into his closest people. You know, people rarely do, but they usually have like advisors, you know, like you see the like pictures of the table yeah. with his advisors. Yeah, They're right. 20 feet yeah. away from him. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's secluded. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's the situation we're in, um, which is a different one, right? It's very different. Um, we'll see. We'll see. I don't, I just, I'm just hoping I like you, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for de-escalation from all fronts, right? That he will only de-escalate if he perceives that his opponents are de-escalating, right? Um, on the other hand, um, he's already at war. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you're already at war, you want to go to the negotiating table with the upper hand. So it's in his, you know interest to be ever more destructive mm -hmm. to have more bargaining power right so this is like the paradox that we're in um is that how do you de-escalate with a guy who uh, might see escalation to as as his advantage um in the short term at least and here's what i'll say to people that are pro fighting mm -hmm. the ukrainian government is allowing you to fight with them you can do this without sending other people's kids. It's very simple. You get on a plane, you go to a neighboring country, try Poland, get on a train, go over the border, and they're going to train you and you can fight. And I'm not saying that to be a wise ass. This is a very interesting war where the Ukraine, there's, there's I think there are over 20,000, 12 to 20,000 soldiers from other countries that are there fighting. I was watching a whole piece on it. There's tons of Canadians. There's Americans who are Afghan war vets. Um, if that's your calling, you can do that. But for that to be your first line of ending this war to get the country involved and send our troops who just got back, um, it's a little premature for that in my book. But if you need to get out of your system, you can go. Yeah. Good point.
All right. You can also donate money. There's yeah. plenty of organizations. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. just saying, you know, like. Yeah. No, I, I know what you're saying. I know it's you're saying. nice to not be on Instagram because I imagine, I imagine there's lots of Ukrainian flags. There's a lot of people's opinions, but there's not much done after that. So, you know, the look at me, look at me, people are who I'm speaking to. Yeah. Not the people that are out there actually doing stuff. So donate, donate to some Ukrainian organizations. Yeah. Talk to people. Yeah. Vote for, vote for people maybe that can change the world for, 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 in a direction that maybe we fight a little less, that we can, maybe your children could live in a life where American troops are literally fighting somewhere. That would be nice. I've never, I haven't experienced that in my lifetime. Your kids haven't. Maybe their kids will, but you know, there's, there, there's a big election coming up in November and think really, really long and hard about who you want representing this country with the state that the world is in right now. That's my closing. Great. I have nothing to add. I second that. Great. Well, uh, No Politics at the Dinner Table, as always, is produced by Adam Prakash. Uh, tune in by G. Baderoy, theme song by Alex Tepper, and uh, check out our website. On the website, you can get a direct link to Amit's book. If you've listened to us, and we do know we have some listeners, buy the book, share the book, uh, support us in that way, um, and uh, keep listening. We, we appreciate it. We'll see you next week. See you next week.